0: WXDXFM, Pittsburgh. Break the Break down the, walls. the
1: This is where Mark Madden normally does the list. And I want you to do a list with me right now. It's brought to you by Matt Mertz Plumbing. Count on a name that you can trust. We started a feature at the Trib over on the Breakfast with Bens page today. And it's called Stairway to Seven. It's. Well, we're ripping it off. Who am I kidding? That. Unfortunately, that nickname has been out there for too long now because people have been wanting the 7th for about a decade. Mike Tomlin got number 6 back in 2008, and we're still trying to see the Steelers get to number 7. Well, I've got seven days before I go on a vacation. I took a long weekend to go to Wrigley this past weekend, and a friend of mine had not been to Wrigley Field, so we crossed that off of his bucket list, and we ate way too much at Gibson's and did the whole... Ferris Bueller's day off thing, basically, for a couple of days in Chicago. But I got a real bona fide vacation coming up before training camp. So I got seven days before vacation, and I'm going to post seven different Steelers players to this Stairway to Seven piece, and these guys, each of them that I'm going to talk about are guys who, quite frankly, need to elevate their games for the Steelers to get to the Super Bowl, for the Steelers to finally get over the Patriots, for the Steelers to prove that they are better than the Jacksonville Jaguars, these are the guys that need to elevate from what they were last year. So, as I put out as a caveat in advance, I'm not talking about Ben Roethlisberger. I'm not talking about Le'Veon Bell. I'm not talking about Antonio Brown. I'm not talking about the offensive line or Cam Hayward. Those guys are all good. We know what they are. If they are who they are like they were last year, the Steelers largely should be good enough to go to the Super Bowl. That's what I think anyway. You can disagree if you like. 412-333-WXDX. But I want you to give me a guy from the rest of the roster that you think if he dramatically elevates his game, the Steelers are going to be sizably closer to beating the Patriots and getting to the Super Bowl distinguishably closer to being good enough to beat the Jaguars after getting beaten down by him twice last year. Give me a guy. Now, I've got the chance to give seven. Hey, it's my page. I can do what I want. You've got one vote. So the first guy that I brought up, surprisingly to some, was Joe Hayden. Now, I'm not saying he's the most, but I think Joe, and I'm not saying this because Hayden needs to get that much better. I think he's really good right now, and if he can play – for 16 games, that'll be an incredible impact on the Steelers. And if he can not just be reliable, but if he can be dynamic, especially if they play more man coverage, I think that'll be a major boost for the Steeler defense. You know, we always equate the dip in production for the Steeler defense directly to the loss of Ryan Shazier. One thing we forget about is that that directly coincided in a lot of ways with with the absence of Joe Hayden as well. Now, Hayden got hurt a couple weeks before that. Like, he was gone during the game against the Cincinnati Bengals, too, by the time that Shazier got hurt in the first place. He had missed a couple by then. But then he had games against, like, for instance, the uh, Packers, the Patriots, the Bengals, the Ravens, where the quarterbacks averaged a rating of 100. The opposing team's averaged 28 points per game. They combined for 8 TDs and two interceptions during that time while Joe Hayden was sidelined. If Hayden can stay healthy and up his level of play a little bit more, the Steelers secondary takes on a much more stable look. He may not be able to take away one side of the field anymore. He just he doesn't have to do that though. He just needs to be slightly better than last year, so maybe that reputation starts to creep back and then Keith Butler can slide help towards Artie Burns or Cam Sutton more often. Furthermore, if the Steelers do play more man-to-man more often, Hayden is often going to have to be good on his own, regardless of help from the scheme, maybe matching the other team's play call. None of this is to say Hayden wasn't good enough last year. He was, but if the question is, how can the Steelers get better? Well, he's one of the ways. And it's in two forms. A, if he suits up for all 16 games, that's one. And B, if he rewinds the clock to, oh, 2013 or so. That, to me, would be a wild card for the Steelers on their stairway to seven. So you give me another guy. You can echo Hayden. You can talk about someone else. 412-333-9939. The more big-picture topic of conversation about coaching and the Steelers between Cower. and and Tomlin over the years, should they have gone to more Super Bowls, given the level of talent that they've had? Five to six pro bowlers, for the most part, 10 to 14 times in the time frame since Chuck Knoll left. Does that say that the Steelers should have gone to more Super Bowls? And uh, we had another sort of NFL topic of conversation, too, and that's that whole ticket price thing. Sorry, concession price thing. Uh, the Ravens and the Falcons have very publicly lowered concession prices I'm asking you if you think that would be a major impetus to get you back into an NFL stadium. I think it helps with the fan experience if you're not paying, you know, ten dollars for a poor draft beer and eight dollars for an undercooked hot dog, but the price of concessions, in my estimation, is never gonna get me back into the building again. It just isn't. It's not that important to me. If I'm laying out a hundred bucks for a ticket or fifty to even twenty bucks for a ticket, that's the first thing that goes off in my mind as well as parking before i get to the concessions i feel like if i can afford that i can afford the eight dollar hot dog or i'm going to spend that much anyway somewhere else in my evening or my day around being there on food you can also tweet me at tim Benz All right, i will start things off in mars and talk to dave hi dave go ahead you're on 105.9 the x hey
0: tim yeah i'd like your uh, hayden pick i'd I- that Houston game comes to mind when they had him shadow Hopkins, and that was a pretty good battle, so
1: yeah he I mean, came back and played pretty decently in that game and um, you know Hopkins made a couple of great catches, but that was just right. him being him and uh, no. that, that was more about you know what alarmed me more about that game was the fact that Blue ran the way that he did for the Texans that was alarming
0: agreed uh, my guy was sort of was uh, i don 't know if you can consider this considering he makes i don 't know what he makes eleven million dollars stuff on to it. Um, i think it's a big key i you know obviously no i
1: agree with that he's going to be on my list i'm not going to reveal where but he is going to be on my list and the guy who would also agree with you too is stefan to because he said that to me each of the last two mini camps that he needs to do more and it kind of factors into the hayden thing right dave because for as much as he's being uh, much he's being paid and for as often as they want to play him he's been hurt a lot and that has gotten in the way of his productivity
0: Right. And you know, the reason we lost to Jacksonville was how treacherous the run defense was. If you stop Jacksonville's run, obviously you beat Jacksonville. You know, if you have Toett and Hayward sort of be like Aaron Smith and Brett Kiesel, where you got to double team those guys, it's a lot easier to stop the run when you have two, you know, great defensive ends that you have to contend with. It is, really but they are
1: asking run. them to get up the field more often too. Like that is Definitely. being asked of them more often than it was the three, four defensive ends of years gone by they're trying to get more of a pass rush from those guys uh you know there is some talk that this linebacker switch will help too in terms of the discipline that is shown on the left side of the defense with tj watt penning in the run to the left which may come more often and the backside pursuit of bud dupree perhaps being more athletic in that regard Uh, that is something that's being advanced as well let's go to jason from Monroeville. jason uh wants to talk about this stairway to seven less too go ahead jason
0: Hey, Tim, big fan of the show. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for calling. Hey, I want to talk about, since the lack of the inside backer court is, like, you know, very thin without Shazier and you have uh, uh, Vance Worley, uh, you know, step one, two, and Hargrave really need to step up this year. I know Dave talked about that a little bit before me. Uh, you know, they definitely need to step up their game. if We need to stop the run a lot more with those guys.
1: Yeah, I think you mean uh, Vince Williams, right, Is the other inside linebacker? Yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, we're... um. Williams I th- like, Williams is going to be who Williams is. And you're right, and you're right for all the same reasons I brought up before about Tua. Thanks for the call, Jason. But I, I think that the inside linebacker position is not about what Vince Williams is or isn't. It's how they replace Shazier because Vince Williams isn't going to be able to do that. And I think that's why they're throwing so many safeties at the position to compensate. Travis from Parts Unknown. Travis, you are on 105.9 The X.
0: Hey, Tim, uh, just calling about the stairway to seven. Um, I believe that uh, I figured a lot of people would call and talk about the defense. And uh, I just wanted to focus on the offense. I feel like we need better production out of the tight end position. And whether that's Jesse James or probably not, I'm thinking more fans Vance McDonald, just somebody that can get, like, a first down or be a goal-line goal, goal line threat of some sort.
1: Yeah, they are of the opinion, and Joe Rudder agrees with you because he brought up this name, too, when I asked him this question, Travis. They are of the opinion that they think McDonald, when healthy, is going to be able to show more athleticism than even what he did last year when he started to peak towards the end of the season. And you know, this when healthy thing, if I'm not going to give a pass to Joe Hayden on it, I'm not going to give a pass to Stephon Tewitt on it, I can't give a pass to Vance McDonald on it either. He's got to stay healthy, too and be available. Uh, there are a lot of people who feel that way. Uh, I'll tell you what, we'll step aside. We've got a lot of people on hold that want to talk about this, so I'll, I'll get into it more with them. There is another offensive guy that I would put in front of McDonald. That logic is sound. A lot of what that guy said is right. A lot of what Joe Rudder said is light, is right. But there is one other offensive guy, a skill position guy, that I would put in front of the tight ends. I'll tell you who that is when we come back. Tim Benson for Mark Madden.
0: Genius Mark Madden. Mark Madden, yes. Your voice is like sweet nectar to my ears. The last thing we need is a lot of loose talk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like
1: it. Uh, I like it. x at 1059. Back to this conversation about extreme embalming. Not only would I prefer to be embalmed while looking at the Instagram of Desi Mitchison, based on the photo she just posted, you can take me now. I've seen all that I need to see. Tim Benzin for Mark Madden. Um, I would suggest that you go to the uh, Trib Live page. We discussed this with Stan Saverin when he was on with us a little bit earlier on in the show. But um, Stan and I got into the Pirates and their inability to draft and develop talent well. And I kind of just went through this checklist of guys that I saw in that Reds-Cubs game when I was at Wrigley Field over the weekend. And the depth of talent from first-round picks that have hit for the Cubs and for the Reds uh, specifically for the Cubs, the Pirates have had their guys. The Pirates have had high first-round choices and significant international signees that we were told would sustain them even when other pieces from that team that emerged were sold off, and it hasn't come to pass. So it's not all about the economics of baseball. It's not all about the evils of a capitalist sport. It's beyond that. And it's what the Pirates do when they select talent and develop talent that has also gotten them in the situation that they're in right now. I'm talking about Baez, Schwarber, Hap, Chris Bryant, who didn't even play, Wilson Contreras, who was an international signee. Guys of that nature that have impacted the Cubs. Yeah, they've got a $100 million payroll differential between them and the Pirates. But they're doing it with a lot of homespun guys that hit early in their careers. Even guys like Rizzo, who played 49 games before he got to the Cubs. Even guys like with the red scooter, Jeanette, who was taken off the scrap heap at a young age. These players all come to mind, too. That Bodhi guy who had a big base hit off the bench, the pinch hitter. He's an 18th-round pick for the Cubs. So it's guys like that that I'm talking about. It's ways that teams can win without spending hundreds of millions of dollars. 412-333. Ninety nine thirty nine. Let's go to Ryan who's calling from the car on the concession price debate. Hi, Ryan.
0: Hey Tim. Um something about the concession prices that a lot of people aren't talking about. I'm not sure if this is the case for the, the Falcons and the Ravens is that um teams don't set those prices ninety nine percent of the time. Um Steelers, you know, they contract out to Airmark. And so the Steeler, the ticket prices are set by one, and then you know one company, and then the concession prices are set by or
1: set by another. Right, but they're not going to slide the prices unless the team is on board with whatever cost benefit analysis that they're doing. I mean, they're they're Aramark wouldn't raise or lower their prices without being on board with the Steelers and what they decide to do. Right. I mean, like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I would, whatever share the Steelers right. get, or whatever whatever the Steelers want in their contract, the Steelers are going to put forth. You know, like if Aramark says no, we're not going to lower our prices, and the Steelers say that we want our prices lower for concessions, they'll find somebody else to provide the concessions. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it depends how long their contract is and how long they you know they've been with that that person. But I think that's that's a large part of something that people aren't talking about. The Steelers can't just go lower you know lower beers to to two fifty and, and call it a day. That could not happen for another five years if that's what
1: the contract says. Uh, okay, but like you said, the Falcons and Ravens figured out a way to do it, and the Ravens figured out a way to do it in a year that's coming off of the anthem situation, which is exactly what they correlated to their uh, reason for doing so. So, like that—that's where I come back to this: is you know, if the team wants it, the team is going to make it happen. You know, like Aramark isn't going to give up its contract with the Steelers over two dollars per hot dog; it's too valuable to them. Four one two three three three. Tim is calling from downtown on our uh, Steelers Stairway to 7 debate. Hi, Tim. Go ahead.
0: Hey, thanks for taking my call. I had two key points. The first one is I think that they, in general, just need to play better as a team. I think we have some really good superstars, uh, but we're not doing well, you know, playing as a cohesive team.
1: So you're talking about the locker room chaos and whatnot from last year? Is that your point?
0: Well, maybe not even a locker room chaos, but it just seems like they you know there's some missed assignments. There's they're just not you know um, you know talking well with each other. They're just not playing as as a succinct team.
1: Yeah, uh, it, that that to me is all true. That to me is all valid. But you know if you're going to tell me what's the bigger deal, you know big picture stuff like them blowing assignments on defense and them being on the same page and not. Looking past the Jaguars to the Patriots in the night before the AFC playoffs. Yeah, I'll tell you that's a bigger deal, but individually, like, I don't think Joe Hayden is at fault for that. I don't think Stephon Toowood is at fault for that. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, the guys who were the most guilty of that, guys like Le'Veon Bell, for instance, who was talking about the Patriots before the Jaguars game, he's a guy we eliminate from the conversation because he was playing as well as he was towards the end of the season, right?
0: So, yeah, you know. Well, he's a whole nother story, but yeah.
1: Well, what do you think about him? Like, when you hear Damian Woody say, for instance, like we talked about before, that he's more important to the Steelers than Ben Roethlisberger, what do you think, yay or nay?
0: No, I don't think that's true, because I think if you ha- if you replaced both of them, Ben would be a greater loss.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that goes for just about any franchise quarterback. You know, maybe I don't right. feel that way about right now Jared Goff versus Todd Gurley, but I feel that way about Ben Roethlisberger versus Le'Veon Bell, because if you're going to the playoffs, I want Ben Roethlisberger more than I want Jared Goff. The, you know, th- this isn't, again, to take the legs out from under Lev Bell about his talent. I think Le'Veon Bell is still as talented as he was three years ago. I know a lot of people are trying to uh, parse that because they're trying to grease the wheels out to make it sound like it's okay if Le'Veon Bell leaves. In fact, I go so far to say I'm less secure in James Conner coming in for Lev Bell that I'm in mean Landry Jones or maybe even Mason Rudolph coming in for Ben Roethlisberger I, I, I firmly believe that Stephen Ridley Jalen Samuels any of the running backs like I think the gap between Bell's talent and the talent of those guys is greater than maybe what it is based on what we've seen from Landry Jones in recent years to keep the team uh, afloat as a quarterback just period but compared to Ben Roethlisberger well no then that gap is greater Because Ben has command of that offense. A franchise quarterback, you cannot blow off his absence if he's taken out of the equation. And Ben Roethlisberger is not only a franchise quarterback, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback as well. Let's go to Frank, who's calling from Bethel Park. Hi, Frank. How's
0: it going, man? Good. Question for you. Actually, two questions uh, regarding the Pirates and uh, the Cubs' uh, salaries. Um, First question, do you think that the Pirates are drafting players to fit their budget? we drafting the right player to fit the need for the team. And second, kind of goes with the Cubs. The Cubs are drafting these players. What happens if the Pirates draft these players and they do well Are they going to be able to re-sign them down the line?
1: Yes, the Cubs have a much easier way to maintain the players that they have. No doubt about it. It's part of the reason why their salary is what it is, because they can earlier in the process buy out arbitration or keep these guys when they do hit free agency. That is an advantage the Cubs have that the Pirates clearly do not. I I grant that. But my point is the guys that they're getting are hitting. The guys that they're getting are succeeding. So... It's not even so, like, for instance, it's not like Jamison Tyon, if the Pirates had passed on him, nobody was going to take him elsewhere in the first round. He was going to be a top 10 pick. And we could kind of go through the list of guys that they've gotten over the years. And I think we're beyond largely the Tony Sanchez, Brian Bullington era, where they were passing on players in the draft because of cost. And even if they are, Frank, I'm not willing to give them that excuse anymore because they right. keep telling us that they're not doing that. Because they are giving up on players in free agency or trading away the current for the future. You know what I mean? Like the excuse has been if we maintain our budget better, we'll be able to make sure we get guys who are going to net rewards because we draft them in the appropriate slot. Like that's that's always been. Huh? I'm
0: sorry. Unless not just get them, but maintain them and keep them uh, for
1: several years. Well, yeah, the the several years part, like, well, they managed to do it with Kutch, but I just don't think they were as inclined to do it with Garrett Cole, and I don't think they'll be as inclined to do it with Jamison Tyon because he hasn't shown as much early in his career as Andrew McCutcheon did when he first came up. Thanks for the call. Agreed. Let's go to Mike, who's calling from I-79. Hi, Mike. Hey, Tim. You hear me? I'm switching my uh, Bluetooth. I got you. Go ahead. Hey, talking
0: about the stairway to 7, to me... I think the most important person on our defense right now has got to be how Sean Davis plays this year. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Is he switching from strong safety last year? He's going to be playing free this year?
1: Uh, the, he is likely to be the first candidate to try that, yes. Something that, by his own admission, he hasn't done in his career, even going back to Maryland.
0: Okay, because to me, like, Mike Mitchell at free safety last year, he was so out of position with everything. How many times have we watched him? But they're throwing a deep ball, and he's behind the play. or He wasn't in position on the run defense. Like To me, like having a solid free safety makes our defense a lot, lot better than what it's at right now.
1: Yeah, I'm concerned about it. I don't know if he's right to play free safety. Uh, even Keith Butler, when we asked him about it at the end of minicamp, who's the guy right now? And he goes, we don't know if we have one. Uh, it looks like Davis is going to get the first crack, but I don't think they're married to it. Uh, I think they are willing to see if, in fact, if Cam Sutton can do that and make the move from corner. Uh, They might be looking at Edmonds, too, the first-round pick. And none of these guys are really renowned as being fast and rangy enough to do that. But they do deem Sean Davis, I believe, to be the best athlete of the bunch of the natural safeties that they have. But, um, you know, if you've got to cover deep and be real fast at doing it, why not have a corner to do it if you've got a bunch of other safeties doing safety-type things, which might include drip, drifting down into the box more often to relieve the absence of a true inside linebacker now that Shazier is gone.
0: Right. Well, Sutton, he's got more sides to him. He's probably our biggest corner, correct me if I'm
1: wrong. Uh, i got to double-check the actual I don't think he's that much taller than Burns. If he's ta- he, He's not that big. I mean, Cam Sutton isn't that big. I'll double-check the sizes on it, but no, none of them strike me as being all that big, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I, And I think when it comes to having to being wiry and, and reach and things like that, I feel like Burns has it more in that regard. I'll double-check, but I, I think that Cam Sutton has good coverage skills and they can use him in a lot of different ways. I just don't know what his first real true position is if it's not on the boundary, if they want to keep going with Joe Hayden and Artie Burns. Kevin calling from Moon Township. Hi, Kevin. Hey, how are you? Good.
0: Good. Hey, uh, this is a lot of the calls about the defense, and I, I totally agree. But uh, something I wanted to bring up, uh, I think if we could somehow get uh, Jesse James to morph him into more of a Heath Miller-type tight end, I think uh, well,
1: he'll never be the blocker that Heath Miller will was. uh, Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. I agree there. But I I think think
1: Vance McDonald, while not a great blocker, is closer to that idea or that ideal. And we've heard a lot of people talk about McDonald. I I feel like they are more on board with McDonald being a watered down version of Heath than they are with Jesse James.
0: I think I don't know. I think Jesse has better hands. I don't
1: know. McDonald does drop too many. But I think they feel like when it's in his hands he can do more damage and he can get open better than James. That's their belief. I'm not as sold on Vance McDonald as they are. I'll tell you that. But the idea of McDonald is a higher-end reward than what James is right now. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it, Kevin. I'll get one more in here real fast. Go ahead, Jeff, real quick. You're on 105.9 The X. You're on the show. Go ahead, Jeff. You're on.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what's wrong with the Steelers. They got too many me players and not team players.
1: Well, we talked about that. I think a lot of that is true. I think no, that came I, into play against the Jaguars. But those me players, once the game started, were actually pretty good. They were just I stupid know, with I, what I, they I, said before.
0: Yeah, and like how much money did Le'Veon Bell make in his career so far?
1: How much money has he ma- Not enough, according to him. I don't know what that has to do with it, though.
0: Well, I'm just saying, be a team player. And they're all the same, you know. It's all about me. It's all about
1: me. There isn't a player in that locker room that would give up one dime in the name of the team to come back if it, the difference is $6 million, if that's what he thinks he can get. You know, we could talk about the me stuff and doing stupid things on Twitter and saying stupid things in the locker room and Facebook living and all that. When it comes to the contract... I get the impression that more people are on board with Bell getting whatever he can because that sets the bar for running backs than they are ticked off that he's staying. They might be mad that he's not sweating out there with them and going through training camp. That might be an issue, but I don't think it rubs people wrong once he's out there and he's getting the ball uh, 30 times a game and he's accruing 150 yards per contest between running and receiving. I think all that gets forgotten. I, I think the me stuff has to do with a lot more than dollars and cents. At some point, know what you can get. And when the Steelers offer $13.1 million and he turns it down, well, maybe they're onto something there. But, you know, uh, largely for the most part, players side with players when they're trying, when they're trying to get more money. Lance Salski next. We talk Pirates before the game tonight against the Nats. It's coming up here on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, what's happening, Mark? Loud noises! <laughs> uh-huh. The X at 105.9. Quick news note here. If you didn't think the Shady McCoy story was disturbing enough, although he's denied it so far, ex-Patriots quarterback Brandon Browner being charged with attempted murder allegedly tried to kill his ex-girlfriend. Bail set at $10 million. First Aaron Hernandez, now this. All right, joining me right now as we get back to baseball, it's Lance Lysowski. Lance from DKPittsburghSports.com. I saw Lance over at the park yesterday. Lance, tell me, did you hurry up and do homework on the Stockdale Paradox after Clint Hurdle's press conference yesterday? I was
0: very curious to what the heck that was all about. So, yes, I did Google it. And, uh, of course, I read your columns. And so, you no, know, I thought it was a very random reference, though, given uh, the topic at hand. <laughs>
1: Well, I just thought that the analogy made it sound even more dire than what we thought. I mean, my gosh, we're comparing the state of affairs to the Pirates with somebody who was in the Hanoi-Hilton for eight years. I don't think it's that bad. Do you?
0: I don't think so either. Um, They are in a pretty difficult spot, though. And for as much as Neil Huntington said this is a make-or-break week, let's, be serious, them. They have their minds made up. This team's not going to add at the deadline. Do you think they're one player away from contending in the central or in the wild card? No way. I mean, they're selling, and now it's just a matter of who actually wants the players they have to sell.
1: Yeah, exactly. Not only do I think they will fail to add, nor do I have any real belief that they want to keep the guys that they do. I mean, my rough math on it was the prorated rate, Lance, whatever they owe left, of 46. 46- Point eight million million and then $48.6 million on potential contracts they could move for the veterans, all of whom we don't need to go through the list. But, you know, the names we keep bandying about as potential trade bait, that's a lot of money, especially in Bob Nutting terms.
0: That's a lot of money, and I don't know who would want to take on that money. No, seriously. I mean, Josh Harrison is not performing up to the $10.25 million he's making this season. Cervelli has the injury history. Plus, he hasn't really been productive since mid-May. Now, Avon Nova, not you know, I just don't see there being a real suitor there. And everybody's talking about Jordy Mercer. Yes, that makes sense. Kevin Newman's in AAA. but who's going to want Jordy Mercer? You know, a real contender, maybe as a utility guy, but not certainly not as a starting shortstop. So, and short of them trading, maybe Corey Dickerson, or hey, if they entertain the idea of trading Felipe Vasquez, since he, he might be their most valuable asset, I just don't think there's going to be much you know added to this roster at the trade deadline.
1: What do you think Vasquez would command? It would be a,
0: uh, the, the the value did take quite a hit with just what he was doing there for up the better part of a month. But he's a left-handed closer, going to throw 101 miles per hour. He's under contract for what three more years at a very reasonable price tag. You can get a lot. You can you can get a lot. And the thing is that if they do that, that's a rebuild. There's no way that Neil Huntington or anybody involved could. Defend such a move. You could say such a thing about when they traded Mark Melanson and got what, Who was Felipe Rivero then and Taylor Hearn? But now that would be a total rebuild move. So again, I, this organization does. I, I just don't see them going that route. Although that they that would be the one player who can command quite a bit.
1: Who would close? Would that finally be a job for Esrod? No, well, I think that would be a. <laughs>
0: realistically it'd be Kyle Kirk Redker Santana and by no means do I think they want either of those guys closing games right now
1: again Lance Lysowski from com. he joins us to talk Pirates he's getting ready to cover the Nationals and Bucks game tonight over at PNC Park you know when Huntington makes that decree of four and four isn't going to be good enough as you alluded to and I agreed Lance it feels like his mind was made up already I guess, why even put the number out there, and how do you think Hurdle and the guys in the locker room really feel about that?
0: It's a good question. I'm sure the players don't appreciate it, because it just seems kind of unnecessary to go ahead and say that publicly. I mean, they know that they have to perform. There's no doubt about it. None of those guys in that clubhouse like to lose. They're all working to not lose. And even David Free said it in New York after they finished that three game series against the Mets with a win that they know the tread deadline is coming. They know what's at stake, not only contending, but what the Pirates could do if they weren't positioned to win. So this isn't news. Now, Neil Einstein said it. I think that was news to the public because he finally acknowledged what their strategy could be. Why he said what he said, I, I couldn't tell you, Tim, but I know that, you know, it might be a, a way to encourage their players or still give hope to, some of the fan base but again I I just don't see this going any way about them starting to trade players
1: yeah I agree and when he said what he said about going four and four or else you know some assets might have to be moved and optimism versus realism the first thing that kind of jumped in my mind was the optimism at the time had been they could be the Minnesota Twins of last year and even the Minnesota Twins of last year now look like the Pirates of this year. So that's, if that was the best case scenario, then it probably wouldn't look good in 2019 either, if you catch my drift.
0: Yeah, exactly. And to try to rely on exceeding external projections isn't unusual. A lot of teams do that, that okay, baseball prospectus has us projected 82 wins. We're We're going to try to win 98. Of course teams are going to do that, but obviously it wasn't a good look to say it and that you were gonna to have to be a heck of a lot better than even possibly ninety wins to, to really make the playoffs in the national league given the teams in your division. I mean they needed to add in the off season. I think that everybody can agree at this point that the bullpen needed pieces. This offense just you know they needed to upgrade at certain spots. And yeah, you could they relied on Starling Marte, Gregory Blanco and Francisco Trebelli to be healthy, but all it took was just there was way too much risk involved with that strategy. And now what's been the problem here, Tim, is this team has neither gone all in rebuild or all in contention. They've always stuck in that middle area where, well, you know, if, ever, if lightning in the bottle happens, then, yeah, we make the playoffs again like we did for three years. But you can't do that anymore. I think Major League Baseball has changed. There was that three-year gap where maybe you can rely on Catching the lightning in a bottle, but you also had an MVP candidate. One of those seasons, you had very good starting pitching, you had a very good bullpen, but now not so much.
1: Lance Lesowski once again brought to us by Chapino Restaurant and Cigar Bar, the best seafood and chop house located in the Strip, home of the Super Genius Burger. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden. You know, now that you say that, Lance, it strikes me as: do they do things backwards? Should they have shed some of the? fringe payroll, some of the guys we're talking about now, before the season, and then held on to Kutch and Cole so as not to undercut the faith from the fan base that was looking at those two pieces of low-hanging fruit and identified that as the fire sale too early in the season. I
0: think they already lost the faith of the fan base, just some of their moves after 2015. They didn't add to the team. The rotation they went into 2016 with was just abysmal. There was no way anybody thought that that, that rotation was going to be able to pitch you to the playoffs. No, I think that the problem is they, they, they took too long to get to this point, okay? that they, they missed their window. They, they didn't maximize it. If you're going to run your franchise the way that this ownership group is, where you're going to try to limit your payroll to a certain number, then you have to be realistic. And you're not going to win a World Series given what you had in the organization at the time, how many draft picks you missed on, how many international free agents you missed on. It just wasn't going to happen. I think they should have sold after twenty, after 2016. They should have happened a year earlier. And now you're in a, an awkward spot where you trade Garrett Cole for pieces that could help you win now when your your farm system still needs to be stocked. I just think that they should have taken a return. To build for the future, because now Colin Moran looks like a third base who doesn't have a long term position. So I don't know if he'll be able to stick there. Joe Musgrove's shown signs of being a pretty good starting pitcher, but the jury's still out. And then you got Michael Fleece who's been a complete bust in the bullpen. So again, I just I still don't understand the logic behind some of the moves, and not just those two, but some going back a couple of years.
1: Yeah, the international signings and in the and the draft choices. I wrote about that too after I researched the Stockdale Paradox, of course. And, um, you know, just comparing it to the Cubs when I was at Wrigley last weekend, I I use that as the point of comparison because everybody just wants to say, well, the Pirates can't compete because of the vast differential in payroll between the big market teams and the small market teams like where they are. But, uh, you know, the Cubs are doing this with a lot of their homegrown guys. You know, their guys hit. Their guys paid out. So what do you think lance is it more a case of they've been drafting the wrong guys or they've been developed poorly because the cubs have figured out a way to do both i, I think
0: they've missed on all fronts uh they, they've missed on on draft picks they haven't developed international guys they gave Luis Heredia what over two million dollars as a signing bonus as an international free agent he never got past double a he's not even pitching anywhere from what baseball reference tells me it, it, it's failure across the board and okay if if you know, to be a devil's advocate, let's not compare them to the Cubs. Well, compared to the other teams across Major League Baseball with similar payrolls, I mean, I look at you know the Brewers have a higher payroll, but they were, they went and they spent after they built a nucleus of players. Where did they find Josh Hader? They got Josh Hader in a trade, you know, for pre, you know it, it was a, you know, a pretty much a lottery ticket asset. But they did that rather than, for example, trading Neil Walker for somebody like John Neese. You know, the, the overconfidence in being able to fix pitchers has been their undoing. Yes, it worked for three years, but it's not working anymore. There's just so many things that have gone wrong here, and it's time for them to pick one way or the other. Are you going to contend or are you going to rebuild? And it looks with what they have in the organization, what they have on this current roster, I don't think they have a choice but the rebuild. But what are they going to get in return with the players that they do have dangled at the deadline? I don't think they're going to get much.
1: Lance, appreciate the time. If Clint Hurdle drops any more historical pearls, will you please let me know? I will keep you posted, Tim. That is Lance Lysowski joining us today from PNC Park, courtesy of DK PittsburghSports.com and Chapino Restaurant and Cigar Bar in the Strip District. All right, my thanks to Bob McLaughlin as well as Stan Sovereign and Joe Rutter. Uh, you can follow me at Trib Live for Breakfast with Ben's tomorrow and uh, on our podcast page as well on Trib Live Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Mark will be back tomorrow, and then uh, I will be back with you uh, at some point on ESPN Pittsburgh once we get up to training camp after my Stairway to 7 vacation. Have a good Tuesday. We'll talk again soon. This is 105.9 The X.